all of your digital marketing strategy is a sum of all of its parts. And what we saw in 28 for 2018 numbers, and you've heard me, you guys have probably heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating. So in 2018, 85% of home builder traffic looked like this. 35% came from organic, 25% came from Google paid. Um, so and that paid is search, display, remarketing, and 25% ish came from social media with the lion's share being paid Facebook ads. Okay. Slash Instagram. Well, 2019, we're actually starting to see a little bit of shift in that trend. The difference is because we're talking about how the buyer journey is more segmented than ever before. The organic portion of that 35, the 35% portion of that pie is actually down a little bit. Hi, and welcome to Building Perspective with Matt Riley and Molly Elfman. We're here to bring value to you and your team by exploring all things sales and marketing related. All from different perspectives. Today, our focus discussion of the week this week is the impact of paid traffic. That's a pretty broad topic that we're really going to kind of drill down into. And I'm super excited because we have one person who's been on our show before back with us, and we have someone else who's never been on our show before and of our on, all on our own team. So we have Chelsea Keenan and Bill Dowdy with us. Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> Bill um, is enthusiastic as always. <laughs> <laughs> And just so just so everyone knows, uh, Chelsea heads up our social media department and Bill heads up our SEM department. So uh, we're going to kind of get a little bit nerdy today and we're going to talk about the whole buyer journey and how what type of impact that uh, that paid search as a whole has on the buyer journey, because we know that the buyer journey is more fragmented now than it really ever has been in years past. Ever before, people across more devices and more mediums than they ever have. And we're always having discussions and we're always getting the question about well, how impactful is social media? How impactful is Google paid? How impactful is SEO? And where should I allocate what percentages? So we're going to kind of dive into some of those things today and, and answer some questions uh, that we get a lot and and just kind of have a fun conversation. So as you probably noticed, uh, I haven't introduced Molly. Molly's out today. Um, so she's not going to be joining us on the show, but she will be back next week. Um, but we're very excited to have Chelsea and Bill on the show with us. So, okay, guys, let's talk about some of our top topics of the week this week. And uh, we've got some fun stuff to maybe we can argue slash debate about. And then we've got some really cool Google stuff that's going to be coming out that's going to be showing up on all accounts at the end of this month. So, Chelsea, why don't you kick us off? What What do you want to talk about? Um, I would love to talk about my favorite human in the world, Mark Zuckerberg, and his recent appearance in Congress yesterday. And a little bit about how that went, um, in my opinion, not so well for him and his constant swallowing. And I'm <laughs> sure I, I think I saw a 
couple of beads of sweat just like pouring down his forehead. But um, we we definitely want to touch on the privacy issues that are happening with Facebook and if they really should be held accountable or not for all of this. So in case you're living under a rock or in case you just don't care and you're not following it, like I try to typically avoid the news like the plague. Uh, and so Facebook, well, Mark Zuckerberg, um, Facebook is wanting to introduce uh, essentially a, a currency, Libra, the Facebook currency. And so he is testifying uh, or being questioned, I should say, um, is it Congress or it's uh, the Financial Oversight Committee or, or something? I'm not quite sure which one it is, but it's he's testifying and they're asking him questions. And a lot of the questions they're asking him have absolutely zero to do with Libra, the proposed currency, but they're pretty much lightening him up when it comes to these political ads and whether or not Facebook should be, you know, the ones that police these things and or held responsible. I'm going to, I'm going to hold my comments. I'm not going to go first. So let's start. Let's start. What do you guys think should with these polls, do you want to start with the political ads? Yeah. Let's start with the political ads. Okay. So what do you guys think? I'm obviously a little biased because when, Everything came in with all of the housing rules in Facebook and advertising. My first instinct was, oh, my God, what are they doing about political ads, though? If they're saying housing ads are being discriminatory and that we need to cut back on our targeting, my first instinct and response was, but all of the political ads that they run are can be discriminatory. And we saw this in The Great Hack. And I, they need to go after the people that are creating those political ads um, and hold the people that are creating the ads accountable um, for sending out a fair message that is not going to corrupt the persuadables any certain way. Um, That's my opinion. But I also think like, Mark Zuckerberg, did he, did, what did he think about when he was with the Winklevoss twins and in his, in his dorm room, did he ever think that Facebook was going to come to this and he would be sitting in front of Congress instead of just sitting in a dorm room enjoying this? Like, I don't know. I think it's, it's crazy the amount of responsibility he has obtained um, and the amount of responsibility that people hold him accountable for when he just started this for a fun, like college dating app, essentially. Yeah. Right. Bill, what do you think? Yeah, there definitely needs to be more oversight on political advertising. I thought the dialogue between AOC and Mark Zuckerberg was really interesting. She asked them a question about whether or not she could run an ad claiming that Republicans had voted for the green new deal. And he really just fumbled that answer and said, people should be able to see, when politicians lie. But I think the problem with that reasoning is people won't know they're lying when they see something on Facebook more often than not, than not, they just assume it's true. Yeah. No, 
I, I, I saw the same questioning and uh, it was interesting because I saw it phrased a couple different ways. And I think if you were, depends on who you're a fan of, I think is how your opinion of that questioning gets swayed. Like if you're an AOC fan, you're like, uh, or supporter, I should say, you know, you're like, oh yeah, she gave it to him. That's awesome. But you know, on the other side, you're like, I don't know. Like, what does any of that have to do with why he's actually there talking about Libra, a currency? You know, and I think that this is a lot of times can be used as a political stunt, you know, in general from our from our politicians. But I, I take I, I at what point here's my argument. At what point does anybody take personal responsibility for their own actions? Like everybody wants to blame or sue a company for something that they did or some, a product they created because someone else did something with it. Right. And you could take that down a whole different other like thing if you wanted to. Um, but t- focusing on the social media side of things, like how I don't understand how it's possible that Facebook could fact check ads that politicians run. Like they're, Mm-hmm. I don't even know how that's, I mean, I, they're, those guys are substantially way over my pay grade as, and I, you know, I'm an infant compared to what those guys are and how they do things. But I don't even know how it's possible that Facebook fact check an ad to make sure that it can run. And at what point are the politicians who are running what they call misinformation, AKA lies, um, you know, at what point do we hold them responsible for running bogus ads? I mean, if you got elected because you ran a whole bunch of uh, ads on any platform that were lying about your, um, you know, the other side of the aisle, the the person you're running against, um, and then they found that out, shouldn't you just be removed from office? Like if you lied to get there, if I were to lie on my resume and get a job because my the employer hired me based on my resume and then come to find out that I made all of that up, my education, my job history and titles, my employer would, if they found out about it, they would fire me. Right? Yeah. Yes. So how is that? any different like we have the ways and means committees and we have ethics committees and you know people can be brought to trial and be you know subpoenaed in isn't spreading misinformation air quotes isn't that an ethics problem as a whole i definitely think it's an ethics problem and i'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate based on the fact checking and just say take this a little further than politics and say if they're going to fact check politicians, how is Facebook going to fact check everyone? Right. And how are they going to stop anyone from lying or giving misinformation on their ads? Because y- you can lie about absolutely anything on Facebook. It doesn't just have to be politics to sway people one way. You can lie about your product absolutely. to make people buy it. And shouldn't you be fired then if you're lying about your product but like where I I guess my question is when it comes to Facebook and advertising and if you're going to put rules and restrictions on one industry and then okay we've got to broaden it to another industry where does it stop and when does it stop with the rules and restrictions right 
yeah, at the end of the day, I think I, I just it's not realistic for Facebook to vet every single ad for, you know, in terms of fact checking. Um, I think people are really channeling a lot of uh, unresolved frustration towards Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, um, because at the end of the day, political advertising is only around one percent of Facebook's ad revenue. Um, so I think it's kind of an outsized controversy in many ways. Yeah, obviously, I, I agree with that. I mean, at one point, what were they? What was the number? I think during the twenty, around the twenty sixteen election, it was like, was it ten million dollars a day? At one point, they were somebody was spending. I think so. It was absolutely an astronomical number. But you're right. I mean, to us, that's like mind boggling as far as n how much you could spend on a daily basis. But as a whole, that's a, such a very little part, a very little piece of their overall overall revenue um i mean it, it, it's crazy but yeah i, I just think I, I see these questions happening and zuckerberg what are you going to do to prevent yeah. this from happening and it's i would i would love for him to turn the question and say well what are you going to do to hold your own uh counterparts accountable and yourselves accountable to i don't know tell the truth no one prepped him for that. Don't make no one prepped him. <laughs> I mean, he thought he was going in there to talk about Libra, a currency. Yeah. And then oh, just like what anything, anything happens, it doesn't matter. Republican, Democrat, independent, you know, whoever has the microphone is going to turn it into some type of political stunt for their own personal gain, um, regardless. So, but also going back to Libra for a second, I personally do not trust if, if facebook can't if they sometimes mess up and can't even schedule my post out correctly on a day <laughs> i don't trust them with actual currency no i would i'm not i'm not for the libra any really any cryptocurrency personally yeah uh no. you know I, I think that gets a little a little wonky uh because it's can be manipulated so easily but i guess any currency could china's been manipulating their currency for decades um but that's a whole different that's true <laughs> <laughs> all right all right let's shift gears let's get out of current news and uh that kind of stuff um and bill you had something you've got some google's got some changes coming up what, what do they have going on yeah a new feature coming to google that i'm really excited about is something called lead form extent extensions so this is going to be rolled out to all Google Ads accounts by the end of the month. Um, it's already in about half of the accounts, so um, it's definitely worthwhile going into your Google Ads account to see if you have access yet. It would just be under ad extensions. Um, so these are called lead form extensions. This is similar in many ways to Facebook lead generation ads, where you can submit your contact information directly from the ad itself. So. When, anytime you're searching a query into Google, you're going to see the normal search ad, which allows you to click through to the website. But what this new feature is, it's an ad extension below the URL that will give you the option to click a little form will pop up and uh, you'll be able to submit your contact information, whether it's just a, a contact form submission or there's also options to download um, you know, a PDF if you have some sort of other lead capture on your site. Um, that would be, you know, very advantageous for kind of higher ineffective top of the funnel strategy. So like I said, it'll be out on all accounts by end of the month. And it's something we're currently testing with a lot of our builders. And I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I don't know how 
trust trusting people will be to submit their information directly in the ad itself. Um, but never, nevertheless, definitely looking forward to testing it. Yeah, we were internally talking about that the other day, and it was like, all right, this could go like one of three ways. Like it could go A, really well. B, it could go, uh, people will just be like, I don't know if they're going to fill out a contact form essentially on the cert page, uh, the search engine results pages. Um, or C, it's going to be a bunch of garbage leads. And it'll, it's similar to like what we found with uh, Facebook Legion ads, right? Like where it's just people don't even realize what they're submitting for. But on the other side of that, the Facebook Legion ads were much easier and just was so seamless to actually put your information in there. And tr people truly had no idea that they even submitted something. Um, so we'll see, we'll, we'll see, it'll be, it'll be interesting. We'll see, uh, you know, we'll test it out and maybe in a month, a month and a half, come back and like report on what we've seen from that. I think it'll be an interesting thing. Yeah, definitely. I think Google uh, did take a lot of cues from the Facebook lead gen ads and what they learned from that. Um, because they did make it much more intentional. Um, it's very obvious that you're submitting your contact information to Google. Um, so, I, so I think we're going to see a little bit higher lead quality. Um, another cool feature is Google gives you the option to directly integrate with your CRM. Um, so that's, that's definitely a positive feature. Um, you know, whether it's Lasso or HubSpot, um, you'll be able to have these leads feed directly into your CRM uh, from Google itself. Do you know how is it set up through? I don't know if you know this or not, but is it set up through like a webhook or how's it how's it set up to be able to feed to the CRM? Yep, exactly. It's through a webhook, so uh, it's very easy to set up. You can just do it through Zapier. Um, you'll have to customize it a little bit depending on your CRM, um, but Google obviously realizes the value of having things leads feed directly into your CRM. Um, you know, there is the option to just download it in an Excel file, um, but obviously you know, the best practice is to get it integrated. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good stuff. That'll be an interesting experiment and uh, to, to test with some accounts and see what happens. And we'll, we'll make sure we circle back around and let you guys in on what we see, but go definitely go in and check it out. You, you should always, I, in my opinion, you should always have a line item on your budget to test out just new, some new stuff. And it doesn't mean you have to spend, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars to test stuff out, but you should test out the new stuff that's coming out just to see if it gets any different results. Um, but, and, and then sometimes you can be testing out new stuff. It works well. And then too many people come in and flood it and then you have to switch gears and go back to something else, you know, go into something else. And, you know, 10, 15%, you know, kind of as a test, test bucket for funds, I think is, uh, on your, you know, from your ads and stuff like that is, in my opinion, something that's good to always have out there. Yeah, definitely. One good thing about applying these uh, new features as they come out, even if the new feature itself isn't particularly effective, Google will actually prioritize your ad in search results if you're using their latest features. Um, so even if the ad extension itself isn't particularly effective, the fact that it's boosting your ad in search results is a huge win in itself. There you, ah, there you go. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> Test out new stuff. Google <laughs> rewards you. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. We're going to stop right there. We're going to take a quick break. And then we come back. We're going to dive into the impact of paid traffic as a whole and how 
uh, and just what that looks like across the entire buyer journey. So hang tight and we'll be right back. All right, and we are back, and we are going to dive into our focus discussion of the week this week, the impact of paid traffic and how that affects the overall buyer journey. So, all right, so got Bill and Chelsea with us today, and we're, we're let's dive in and let's talk about, in my opinion, let's just kind of start with this, and I'm interested to get your all's thoughts on this too. So, when it comes to digital marketing specifically, and, and for this purpose, we're going to lump that into two main categories. Well, it could be really three main categories. It can be SEM, so paid search, display, retargeting. Um, so that's one category. Social media with the focus on, you know, it can be organic and paid, but with the heavy emphasis on paid. And then a little bit of SEO, right? And so how all of these things are really, it's a sum of all of its parts. Like the digital marketing as a whole is a sum of all of its parts. And what I mean by that is each piece has plays its own part. And if you pull one of those pieces out, the cogs in the wheel, or if it's not running as smoothly and as efficiently as it can, then it actually makes the other areas not run as efficiently either. And so that's, that's my opinion on the, the digital side or the paid traffic side of things as a whole. How, from your all's perspective, where you each dive in and you specialize on the social media, you specialize in an SDM and paid search from Google uh, perspective, like what do, you, what do you guys think? Do you see the same thing playing out? So I definitely see that exact same thing happening all the time. When we look at our monthly reports, we have in our conversion slide a little bit of the goal path. So how people got to fill out a form and convert on your website and the whole entire path and journey that they went through while they were doing it. Now, doing paid ads on social media, we have a lot of people click through to the website, but not a ton of people convert on the very first time from directly from social media to the website. And in the path, a lot of the times we see people went from, they found you on social media and then they clicked on a paid search ad on Google because that's where they're searching for things and spending the second most majority of their time other than Facebook. Um, and then they go to your website and then they might fill out a form. So really on a daily basis, I need from what I'm doing, I need what Bill is doing on Google to get the people that I'm sending to their website back to their website to fill out a form. And Bill, I'm sure would say reverse the same thing. We see a lot of times people find you on a paid search ad first and then they might follow you on Facebook and then click through on your Facebook ads a couple of times and then fill out a form. So it's you can't always just rely on one form of paid or even unpaid advertising to get people to directly fill out a contact form on your website. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a multi-channel approach uh, focused on all stages of the of the funnel um, is extremely important. Um, and you know, from a 
Google perspective, we see the same thing. We'll show them display ads more towards the top of the funnel, uh, create that brand awareness, maybe a YouTube ad. And then when we get more towards the middle of the funnel, those paid search ads, we're able to see that someone did see a display ad, um, you know, 30, 40 days ago, then they came back to the site after searching uh, on Google um, and then ultimately converted. So that multi-channel conversion funnel that Chelsea was referencing, that's extremely important uh, when looking at your overall media mix. Yeah. And, and just to clarify a few things. So one, when Chelsea is referring to getting the, getting them to fill out a form, so that's a, obviously we know what filling out a form is, but that also encompasses, did they text you? Did they mm -hmm. call you? You know, like the other forms of conversion. And by the way, we only consider a conversion being someone entering into our sales funnel or sales ecosystem. So not just hitting the available homes page or the floor plans page. Those aren't our, what we would consider conversions. We consider conversions, people entering into our sales cycle. Um, and the other thing which she was talking about, and it, it kind of pulls together what Bill was just saying is one of the things that we do when, when reporting and analyzing what's working and what's not. And we talk it really the buyer journey and this kind of ties into attribution as well, because we can't really, it's really difficult to have this conversation and not talk about attribution at least a little bit, but that buyer journey, what you'll start to see is that look back of where people were, and how they got to your website before they actually converted. So what's a lot of times what we'll see is we'll see them originate on a social ad or a, a Google ad, and then they don't convert. So on our reports, the way we do it is it might look a little bit like this. You might see a line that says paid social, uh, paid Google, um, search, organic, and direct. Right. So that's a four piece path before the buyer actually converted. So the step one means they clicked on an ad from Google or from Facebook or whatever. They came to your site. They didn't convert. They came back to your site from another source. They didn't convert. They then they Googled you and then they clicked on your link from an organic search. Then they didn't they didn't convert, but they came back. And the last time they came back was direct and they just typed in www.buildername.com then they actually converted to a lead. And if we were looking solely at an attribution model, which most people look at is last click mentality, then the direct, and I'm using air quotes because I know you get, you know, this is a podcast, not video, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, air quotes, the, the, all the credit would go back to the direct category and be like, look at all of these people that converted to a lead. They just came directly to our website and you have to ask the question, well, how did they find out about us? They had to find out about us from a particular reason. And so that's, or from a particular source. And so that's where when we kind of pull the thread all the way through the needle and better understand where people are coming from because we know that more people are on more devices on more mediums than they ever have been. And the buyer journey is so fragmented. Now you have to be able to give credit to multiple sources um, to, un to better understand where they're coming from. What do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. And if someone wants to uh, check out their own data and see their own conversion funnels, um, it's relatively easy to do if you know where to look. If you log into your Google Analytics account, just go to the left-hand side. Uh, towards the bottom, you'll see conversions. 
and then multi-channel conversion funnels. And then under that dropdown, there's a few different options uh, that I, I really encourage you to explore and play around with. One is assisted conversions. That tells you what uh, source mediums or channels uh, played a role in the end conversion, as well as top conversion paths. So that's going to give you a visualization of what Matt was just talking about in terms of what channels played a role in that end conversion. And then lastly, there's a model comparison tool where you're able to compare the six different attribution models that Google Analytics makes available. Um, the one we encourage and is really considered best practices in most situations would be position-based. Um, and that gives 40% of the credit to the first click, uh, the middle 20% to all the other channels involved, and then the last 40% to the final click. And just to go a little deeper on why that's and like what that, how that works and why that's important. So why it's staggered that way. So 40% going to the first click, there was some, there was something in your ad or in that source that was compelling enough for that user to say, click, I want to see more, but apparently it wasn't compelling enough for them to convert to a lead yet. Right. So that's why you get 40% there. In the middle is really that the rest of the buyer journey and their discovery and intent process. And so that could be they came to your site from an email campaign that you sent out. They read a blog that, you know, whatever it may be, there's, you know, they interacted with you from a Zillow and they came a Zillow listing and they came to your site, whatever it may be. Um, that's the middle section. And so this is just their small little nibbles of what you're of what you're doing. And that's why that whole middle section gets accredited to 20 percent. And then the last part of the last 40 percent, just like the first part, 40 percent, where it was intriguing enough and it was uh, impactful enough for them to click to find out more. The last one was intriguing enough to actually make them convert to a lead and say, yes, I want more information. So that's kind of the breakdown of the 40, 20, 40 and how that plays a role uh, in, in, into the, the breakout or the percentage uh, split out of the credit of to the different sources. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about first because Bill, you mentioned talking about breaking down ads in different parts of the funnel, and this kind of gets into our buyer journey segment that we've been you know blogging about. We've done one podcast de episode that was dedicated to that. But for, from a social media perspective and a, a paid search and SEM perspective, how do you recommend that someone structure their ads or do you recommend in general that they structure their ads to be at different points of the buying cycle? Yeah, absolutely. We, we definitely recommend setting up different campaigns and different ads associated with the different parts of the conversion funnel. Um, so in terms of, you know, top of funnel, that brand awareness. There's a lot of things you can do on the Google network in terms of targeting and ad options to really promote your, your brand in your targeted markets. One of the best ways to get awareness out is YouTube advertising and display advertising. You don't want to spend a ton of your overall marketing budget on top of the funnel, at least in my opinion, but display advertising and YouTube advertising, it really allows you to get a lot of bang for your buck. Um, the CPMs are very competitive. You're going to be able to reach a lot of people at a very effective cost. Google makes a ton of uh, targeting options available. 
Um, something that I like to use for YouTube advertising that is a targeting option unique to YouTube is life events. Um, so this was introduced around six months ago. Um, it's only on YouTube and Gmail advertising. Um, but some example life events would be like if someone has recently been promoted at their job um, or they've recently been married or engaged um, or they're moving soon, Google gives you the option to target them. So if someone's been recently married or engaged, uh, there's a good chance they're going to be in the market for a new home soon. Um, they may not have even started their home search yet, but we're able to reach them with YouTube ads um, across YouTube as well as uh, YouTube's video partners. That's also something uh, some people may not realize is when you're advertising on YouTube, you have the opportunity to appear on a variety of websites uh, outside of YouTube. So even if someone's not on YouTube or they're not a YouTube user for some reason, they're still able to reach a ton of people at a really effective cost. Yeah. And just to kind of piggyback and we're talking about the, these life-changing events, what triggers most moves, meaning someone deciding they're going to move is a life-changing event, right? So that life-changing event could be getting married, getting divorced, having children, graduating from college or uh, graduating from college, having kids go off to college, you know, downsizing as the parent, um, death of a family member. So it could be a spouse. It could be uh, an older elderly parent where one of the, one of them passes and the other one needs to move in for a caregiver. Like there, these are the type of, of life events that are what typically trigger a move because most of the time, you know, if I'm, if I'm a single guy and I'm living in an apartment and, you know, I don't have to manage anything or whatever it is. If I'm just by myself, I'm not going to be like, all of a sudden I need to go buy a 3000 square foot house, right? Like it's just, there's nothing that's triggered my life to make me want to change the current scenario. So that is, it doesn't mean it doesn't always happen, but that's typically what spurs an actual housing move. And so, and as we all know, we love to go in and we love to tell social media when we've now gotten engaged or we're dating someone or we're in a relationship or we've gotten a divorce or like whatever it is. We like to go in and spout all this information off. And that's how Google finds out, not just through social, not just through social media, but you know, people, but your online habits tell the algorithms where you're at in the, that point of that stage of your life. And so that's kind of just going a little deeper into what Bill was saying. If, what what causes these life events and why it matters so that's that's what causes the move chelsea how about you from the social media perspective do you recommend or how do you i guess that's kind of a, a and or question structure ads and content to people that are in different stages of the buying cycle i do recommend it absolutely and we do <laughs> set it up that way so like Bill was talking about at the top of the funnel and people, there's obviously a great way to find a brand new audience across Facebook and through social advertising. And you want to hit those people with a brand awareness message because maybe those people, even if they have thought about moving or even if they live within a 15 mile radius of your specific community, which is the targeting on Facebook, um, 
they might not know about right. your building company. So you want to hit them with uh, that new brand new audience with a brand awareness message and tell them who you are, where you're located, what your price is from, and maybe add a little bit more lifestyle to that message. If you have video content, that would be that explains a little bit about you as a builder. That would be a great um, type of creative to use for that top of the funnel ad for the buyer journey. I agree. And, or even because a lot of times um, at this stage in the process, the, the buyer's not even considering new homes as a whole. Mm -hmm. It might be considering a move. And we know as builders that the, the actual, our actual real competition is used homes. And so a lot of times that top of the funnel content could be why they actually should buy a new house instead of a used home. Now, absolutely. I just wanted to add one thing uh, in terms of new versus used. Uh, one of Google has such a wealth of data. Um, one thing you can do in terms of segmenting a certain ad for someone searching for new construction versus segmenting an ad uh, for someone searching for a new a used home, Google actually gives you separate audiences. So if you want to create an ad just for people searching for a used home, Google gives you the ability to do that via in-market audiences. They're actually able to differentiate based on your search history, uh, your browser history, whether or not you're actively looking for a new construction or a used home. Yep. Very good. Okay. So what do, let's run through a couple different examples and we can use the different sides. So we can use SEM and we can use paid social, but what are some different ways that you find effective on each to hit different aspects of the funnel, right? So we talked about, so Chelsea, you were talking about kind of brand awareness. We were talking about, you know, consider new versus used home. Um, and, and Bill, you just talked about that as well. And that's kind of top of funnel. But what are some different things from a middle of funnel perspective and, and, and messaging and, and functionality of how that would work? This is probably my my one of my favorite parts of the funnel because they have probably they might follow you on social media already. They may have already clicked through a paid search ad, but it's your middle of the funnel people that know about you, but they're, they're kind of deciding if they, sh if they should go with you or not. It's like getting ready for like a third date. Like, eh, all right, we've tested them out. We've, we've talked to them. We see the waters, but like, is it worth it? Is it worth it to continue going on and possibly spending, uh, larger portion of my life with them. Um, so we like to, in the middle of the funnel, do a lot with different types of ad sets before we even get to the creative. So with top of the funnel where you create a uh, brand new and you pick your interests and you use all of Facebook's targeting, here is where we can use a little bit of um, stuff that as a builder, you already have. So you can do retargeting ad sets, people that have been to your website already and shoot them with a little subliminal message that says, come on back. Hey, come, come see us again. And you can also upload your CRM list and people that have already filled out a form that also bleeds into bottom of the funnel a little bit, but we use it for middle of the funnel tactics too. Um, but people that are 
on your contact list and the message has changed not so much to, hey, come fill out a form and get in contact with us, but it's more so um, what we have been discovering and messing around with a little bit is actually, Matt and I were talking about this earlier, messaging ads and are they worth it? Are they not? And after looking into it a little bit more, I do think that messaging ads can be the next big thing in the middle of the funnel, especially if you have an OSC um, and you can put their picture on there. And what happens is you upload your CRM list and your messaging can be hey, like we're here to answer any questions that you have. And instead of taking you back to the website where they've already been and already filled out a contact form, instead the call to action is message us and talk to us. And you can have, if your OSC is me, Chelsea, you can have a picture of Chelsea on your ad so that that person that is searching that home buyer knows exactly who they're going to be messaging with and sending their questions to. And I think that um, something that's worth pointing out is when it comes to message, if you know, if you if you're going to test out messaging ads, messaging ads is definitely not a top of funnel. Yeah, because it's then it's just annoying, right? That is not going to work. They're going to click on it. Like I found one of these. I saw something that I might be interested in and I was like, oh, OK, I'll click. And I'm I'm actually uh, protective of my clicks. Because I knew as soon as I click on something that I'm going to start getting, you know, gobs of other ads in the same industry, you know, their competitors and things like that. So, but I was like, oh yeah. And I clicked. And as soon as I clicked it, my messenger popped up and it wanted me. And I was like, no, 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 no. I just closed it out because I wasn't that in at that place where I wanted to have a conversation with that company. I thought it was an intriguing, like, oh, well, let me read about this or watch a video or whatever it is. Like, you know, I'll, I'll spend 20 seconds learning about what you've got and see if it's something worthwhile or not. But I definitely was not wanting to have a conversation where in this scenario, you're actually going after mm-hmm. people that you literally already have their contact information. Like they've filled out a form or converted on your website, or they've been into your model homes and now you're, but they haven't purchased yet. So now you're trying to pull them in back, um, which is where we talk about doing all kinds of other stuff like email campaigns and things like that, engaging the people that we've already paid to get in front of um, to get them back and convert to an actual sale. So I think that's definitely a difference when it comes to messaging ads is it is not a top of funnel strategy. It is a middle or bottom of funnel strategy. I repeat, not top of funnel strategy. You will get trash. Because <laughs> you will test it. Yeah. You will test it and not it be like happy. The Legion uh, ads. <laughs> so yes, that's right. Those would be like Facebook Legion ads all over again. Yeah, that's right. All right. How about you, Bill? Yeah, in terms of middle of the funnel, I think paid search is really invaluable. People uh, they're starting to actively look. Um, they know where they want to live. So this is really paid searches, time to shine. Um, you know, feature, promote your featured homes, communities, um, any incentives you might have going on. Uh, just the power of paid searches, you're able to serve ads to people who are actively searching for a product, product or service. Um, this isn't across, you know, their browser experience. They took the time to type a certain targeted keyword into Google um, and so this is some of the you know, highest quality traffic you're going to be able to capture. Um, so paid search, definitely invaluable uh, in terms of middle of the funnel. Um, 
And when it comes to paid search, don't forget about uh, Bing paid search. Um, oftentimes, Bing is overlooked. Um, however, when it comes to search engine market share in the U.S. on desktop, um, Bing and Yahoo combined, they're in the high 20% now in terms of market share. So if you're not on Bing, it's a huge missed opportunity, in my opinion, because you're going to get really high quality traffic, just as qualified as Google. Um, but you're actually, in most cases, you're going to be able to get it at a lower cost per click and ultimately cost per conversion, just because there are fewer advertisers across the Bing network. Um, and therefore, since it's on a competitive basis, um, the cost is determined by, you know, the number of people bidding on certain keywords, your overall costs are going to be lower just due to the lower competition. And, and by the way, it doesn't cost anything to be there, right? So a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to spend the money over there. Well, the reality of it is, is you're only paying for it if someone clicks on it, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. And in terms of management time, it doesn't really require that much more effort. Uh, Bing ads plays very nicely with Google ads. So um, you can actually set it up to import any changes you make to your ads, uh, your keyword targeting on Google. You can actually set it up in Bing ads for it to automatically import. So, um, you know, you don't need to be an expert in Bing ads um, as long as your Google ads are on point and working. Um, you can transfer, you know, that same form and function over the Bing ads and have great results. It's like we used to be able to link Facebook and Twitter, and every time you made a Facebook post, it would push a tweet out. Yeah, that was yeah, right. that was fun. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and it doesn't happen any longer. Now, okay, so I do want to note. So I love talking about this in, as a whole because we're we're spending a lot of time talking about paid search. Obviously, that's what our episode title is. That's why we're spending so much time there. But talking about organic, and because we I did talk about how all of your digital marketing strategy is a sum of all of its parts. And what we saw in 28 for 2018 numbers, and you've heard me, you guys have probably heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating. So in 2018, 85% of home builder traffic looked like this. 35% came from organic, 25% came from Google paid. Um, so and that paid is search display remarketing and 25% ish came from social media with the lion's share being paid Facebook ads. Okay. Slash Instagram. Well, 2019, we're actually starting to see a little bit of shift in that trend. The difference is because we're talking about how the buyer journey is more segmented than ever before. The organic portion of that 35, the 35% portion of that pie is actually down a little bit. And that that percentage is shifting over to the paid side. So paid search and paid social is taking some of the organic um, market share from a ser search volume or search tr or traffic uh, perspective. And it doesn't mean that SEO is not important because it absolutely 100% is. It just means that it just shows the importance of why you have to pay to play. And, I have an article we didn't talk about at the beginning of the at the beginning of the show, but I have an article to share too later. But keep going. Okay, okay. So I mean, just another thing where Facebook is changing the algorithm on organic postings again, right? And with paid search as a whole, or when I say paid search, I actually encompassing all of paid. So paid search, display, social media, all of that to me is just paid. Um, and so, but with that, all you have to do is dial in your audience. You don't have to factor in 
algorithms of, of what time of the day is best to post. I mean, you just have to dial in the scientific part of how your ads work and with Facebook in particular with the, how you can make, you know, standard events and custom conversions work in your favor and deliver better audiences, maximizing uh, the ROI of Facebook's AI technology. Um, and, and really the same thing on the Google side of things is making sure that your different headlines and descriptions and uh, everything that goes in the body of your ad all line up based on the search criteria that people are using. So Google can then use its AI to in machine learning to serve up the best type of ad to the user. Um, so th that's, I think this is, it's one of these, when it comes to paid, this is where we have to be. And when I'm talking to builders across the country and I'm, I'm interested to you know see what you guys think too, but a lot of people will say, well, I tried this. I tried Facebook or I tried, I, we don't spend much money on Google ads because we tried that and it didn't work. I think the tried that can be, we spent a few hundred bucks and it didn't work or we got someone that didn't know what they were doing and they spent way too much money and it didn't work. And I think spending not enough money is just as dangerous as spending too much money when you don't know what you're doing because you're not spending enough. You're actually not getting a big enough sampling to see if it's actually effective for you and or if you're doing it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to like, we do hear that a lot. Like, oh, I tried Google before, it didn't work. Well, that's because you weren't using the tool correctly. Like, to be honest, um, if you're using Google ads correctly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, uh, Google has such a wealth of options and targeting options, and it has so many different, uh, you know, intricacies in it. Um, that's its, its strength, but also its weakness. If you're not a seasoned SEM professional, um, you may not know how to use all those tools to your advantage. So, yeah, if, if you're using it correctly, you're going to see results. Yeah. Chelsea, you're going to say something. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I was just going to say I was going over a report with a builder yesterday and they had spent, they said, maybe $50 a month on social media and had never done any paid advertising in on Google or Bing or anything. And looking at their report and total sessions throughout last year and just we started in September. It was you can't see my hands, but it was like all these ducks in a row and then like a giraffe. If you can and that was all all the little ducks were like all the sessions for the past month and the giraffe was September and it was just towered over all of the other months in when we started paid social and paid Google advertising and SEM and the amount of traffic to their website soared astronomically and it really didn't even affect their overall time spent on site or their bounce rate. And they said to us, they were like, wow, uh, we should have started spending sooner. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> done right. Done right. It's done a, correctly. It's a massive impact, right? Um, so yeah. What would you said you had, you wanted to pop in an article. What were you going to, oh, sure yes. what were you talking about? So I was reading an article earlier, and it's also on a couple of different articles it was reported across, but I was reading Marketing Land, and um, they said that 2019 will be the first year in the history of the world, the entire world, going back to like 
printing press in Gutenberg. Um, it will be the first year that social media spend, advertising spend, surpasses print and newspaper and magazine advertising. So it now just social media alone. Social media ad spend surpassed yeah. spend on all print advertising in 2019 and it's the first year and now it's the third biggest spend on advertising behind tv and paid search of course yeah but it just goes to show that i don't it's not slowing down it surpassed print and it's only getting stronger so if you uh aren't reallocating your budget after this podcast you should be (laughs) <laughs> and if th- and we're recording this on October 25th. So if you're listening to this and it's February 3rd, uh, you might be too late, but you can try to shift some money around. <laughs> yeah, that article came out uh, last week. So yeah, yeah, right. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I, uh, I just, it's shifting and that's where it's at. One of these days, we're going to stop referring to... Um, the other, t- you know, print marketing and the other is traditional marketing and this is digital marketing. We're just going to call it marketing because this is going to be the only, you know, like it's just, it, it just, it's marketing. It's not digital marketing. It's just marketing where people are, you know, and like we're, we're not married to Facebook or social media or Google SEM, you know, Google ads. Um, we're married to where people are. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, we just know that's where they are. One day there's, there's going to be something that's going to replace Facebook and Instagram and something that's going to replace the Google ads platform. Maybe Google's going to replace their own platform, but something's being worked on right now in someone's garage that is going to replace everything that we're using right now at some point. I mean, it just is. I mean, if you think about, what we use on a day-to-day basis right now didn't exist about 10 years ago. Like things that are part of our day-to-day lives every single day, Amazon, Netflix, uh, smartphones from the iPhone and Androids, what they are today, they didn't exist about 10 years ago. My job did not exist about 10 years ago. Absolutely. It's crazy. Right. So. Save the planet. Go anyway. digital. Okay. <laughs> and and you get to save the planet, yeah. right? All right, all right. Well, we've nerded out on paid advertising, and we've talked got to talk about the buyer journey. We've got to talk about attribution a little bit. So, what a fun nerdy <laughs> episode! And if you made it this far in the episode and wasn't too much, then congratulations to you. You're a nerd, just like we are. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> all right guys um that is gonna do it for us this week and uh thank you so much chelsea and bill for coming on and um nerding out with me for a little bit and talking about paid search my pleasure thanks for having us absolutely all right guys well that's gonna do it for us this week thank you all for joining us on another episode of building perspective make sure you join in on the conversation with us on our facebook group well building perspective where you can ask questions and chat with other people in the industry from all over the country so thanks so much have a great week we'll talk to you soon (laughs) 